The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Episode of the Future Sox podcast. Today, I am joined by senior writer James Fox. Starting to become a theme, James Fox joining us on the podcast. Good to know, though, because he knows his stuff, and so does our guest today, Brad Squires from the ONTAP Sports Network. Uh, Buzz, right? Are we going to call you Buzz? I think that's okay. Do you mind that? That's absolutely fine, man. All right. Brad Squires, also known as Buzz. You can follow him on Twitter at BuzzOnTap. Uh, also, Give the Sox on Tap Twitter a follow specifically since we are a White Sox-centric show. Hey, we are all working in the independent blog scene, and that applies directly to you because, you know, we were talking a little bit before the podcast, and over the uh, on the ONTAP Sportsnet, they cover a, across the board in Chicago sports, Bears, Bulls, Cubs, White Sox, Blackhawks. I mean, it's getting to the point where that sort of blog is, across the year buzz has started to climb up the ranks now as a pretty pretty darn good blog site could could you just fill us in and our listeners on what you guys have accomplished across this year oh yeah absolutely man and uh thank you i just want to thank you both for having me on and crack them to you both for uh, yeah, letting, let me come on your podcast today um yeah so just speaking to what on tap has become on tap's become kind of like not a juggernaut it's not huge yet but we're on the way um over the last year tony marchese um, Juice, Johnny Nani, and myself came up with, you know, this idea to start our own thing kind of in our vision. We all came from different uh, avenues, um, you know, me being Sports Mockery. They were with Chai Sports Nation, I believe, and, and we all came together and, and, we, and we built this website basically based off of, you know, obviously Chicago sports, drinking a couple beers. And the one thing that we pride ourselves on, guys, is that we're always out there. You will find one of us at, one, at any game you attend. One of us are always there. So we, we prided ourselves on that. We've made some real big moves and splashes over the last year, you know, whether our work getting into publishing the Bleacher Report. I had a TV appearance. I, James, you were on the show as well, the CLTV uh, uh, news feed, the sports show, um, which unfortunately was was uh, cut. But I, I got to be on that. I got to be on WGN radio at one point this year. So I think our hard work is kind of starting to pay off. And over the last year, we just we covered each and every team. There's no off season for us. So we, we just kept going and going and going. We went right in from White Sox. Uh, Tony and Nani went to Blackhawks and I went to Bulls and we just kept running from there. Yeah, we'll we'll get into the White Sox and the minor league system and your t- I'm interested to 
to hear your opinion about the offseason and a lot of different topics related to how the organization got to where it is right now. Uh, but I'd like to stick into the blogosphere a little bit here in the Chicago area because, you know, you got to pick and choose who you want to get your information from. And there are plenty of blogs out there covering Chicago sports, but on tap sports suddenly has become this, this credible online consistent source of media. And I think what you guys are doing is really something to keep an eye on because you have your personalities there. You, you guys are broad, like you just explained that you cover the multiple sports here in Chicago. And I think it's really about being as relatable as possible. And I'd love for you to elaborate on that and how you guys are being relatable to your consumers, especially considering you, you're hosting podcasts. I think the biggest thing about being relatable to the people that, you know, that dig us is at the end of the day, man, we're just, we're just people. I never pretend on, you know, on social media, you know how prevalent social media is, you know, how predominant it is. I never like kind of like try to big league anybody. I never try to, you know, talk down anybody. I'm just, I'm a normal guy who works uh, eight to five, you know, um, I like to come home, drink some beer. And my hobby is watching sports. You know, I'm a, I'm a married man with uh, a two-year-old and a, another one on the way this August. So it's just, I, I think that's, we're just relatable guys because we just, we are the fan. We just decided to, to like put our, I guess, intelligence into the sports and our, in our drive and, you know, our, our, like how big our hobbies is just put all that energy into this project. And yeah, we might be a little bit more intense and in, within stats and, and research than the normal fan, but we still relate to the normal fan because, you know, we're always out there. Like I said, whether you're at the rate, you'll find us in lot B you know, whether you're at uh, Soldier Field, you'll find us in South Lot, 300 level for the Bulls because Lord knows I'm not paying for 200 or 100. So, you know, it's, uh, that's, I mean, I think that's what makes us so relatable. And as far as the blog blowing up or, you know, the website blowing up and, and getting the recognition that it, it did get is I, I really do pride ourselves on our editor-in-chief being Johnny Nani. He's a great editor. Um, you know, he goes through everybody's articles, make sure they're, you know, everything is uniform. Like we don't write blogs like in text form, you know, um, everything is uniform. He's a journalism major. So he, he is always taking care of that. And, uh, all of us have, you know, a certain amount of intelligence when it comes to whatever sport we're covering that we can actually make a good article out of it. And, you know, I guess the powers that be that saw that stuff thought it was good enough to be, you know, to be published elsewhere at Bleacher Report or whoever else picks us up and, and talks about us. So I, I think it's just the grind and being relatable is just, we're just like everybody else. We're just like normal dudes, man. We like to drink beer and watch sports. That's, it's our MO. I appreciate that grind as, as somebody who, you know, grew up trying to get into this industry, working tirelessly, contributing for multiple blogs before fortunately landing here at Future Socks. I get it, man. There's, there's a lot that goes into building a site and then getting that credibility. I mean, you're going to be posting stuff for who knows how long without any views, you know? I mean, sometimes it can be, it can be that tough, uh, but the way you guys have branded yourselves and pushed all of your, your content, it's, it's really shown that it's going to be something successful, especially considering you guys are committed, and that's so important. And that's what we wanted to talk about, too, uh, related to us here at Future Socks is our commitment to providing content to the listeners and our readers. Obviously, it's in, it's tough times these days. And what better escape of reality than sports? And with sports taken away from us, we're, we're sitting here twiddling our thumbs trying to figure out how to put thousand-piece puzzles together. You know, it's just, it's starting to get to that point where it's like, all right, tapping my foot here, let's get some sports going. But obviously, our main concerns for 
this uh, this pandemic to, to pass and everybody healthy and staying alive. And that's that's the priority. But today, Brad, I'd love to talk to you about the Chicago White Sox specifically. Love to get into the minor league aspect, your consumption of it. Let's start there. A lot of the times when we bring in our uh, personalities across uh, the Chicago White Sox uh, atmosphere covering the team in however capacity, we like to get their opinion on their consumption of minor league baseball. So fill me in, Buzz. What, what's your consumption of White Sox minor league baseball? My consumption is, uh, you know, I had the minor league baseball package uh, last year. I'm sorry. Was it last year or two years ago? I think it was two years ago. I'm sorry. It was two years ago I had the MILB package or whatever, so I would be able to watch Knights games. And, and everything like that. And even every once in a while I would catch a Barons game, but then I, my work schedule was so rough at the time that it was honestly, I wasted my money, which was unfortunate um, because I didn't really get to catch a lot of the games. And then, you know, you get home, you go to sleep and you, you'll wash, rinse, repeat. Um, but I stay, I do stay very educated on it. Um, and that's from a lot from reading you guys and just reading anything else that's, you know, floating around the internet. So I, I wouldn't say my consumption is up at the level of the elites, but I would say I'm probably, you know, riding in the middle of the pack. How do you think it would have changed this year with a big league team to root for finally? Oh man, <laughs> that it's such a such a hard question. I mean, we I was so excited this year. You know, uh, after like I said when we were talking before we even got on air about you know you having the Lou Bob deal ready to rock and you know you reporting on that and just everything that that came with the 2020 Sox, like what we were going to be doing this year. I, I was super excited. I mean, lot B tailgates would have tasted a little bit better, right? I mean, going into the ballpark, it would have been, the atmosphere would have been a little bit different because you're finally seeing the fruits of all that labor coming to fruition. Everything is coming together. And, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, if they would have won the division, I don't know if they would have been a wild card. I don't know any of that, man. But I, I do know one thing, the optimism for that team was through the roof and it still has the potential to be, I mean, I, my fingers are crossed. You know, I always try to look at the bright side. I always try to look for the silver linings. But I was, I was super, super excited this year to catch our prospects that have come up, and you know, even not even prospects anymore, like Yoan Mankata and Tim Anderson, to build off the years that they had. So, yeah, I was all for it. Yeah, I think over time now, like this was it. You know, like oh man, the off season was so interesting to follow across the board. You know, like it started with the pursuit. Uh, well, they signed Grandall to kick things off, which got us all in a flurry like yeah we're spending this year as white Sox fans like that's let's go i'm gonna invest in the team myself um what else you got for me rick Hahn? they went out and tried to get zach wheeler that failed and then it's doomsday after they went out and traded for nomar mazara but then you know you see the keiko signing and, and the edwin encarnacion and then the the moncada extension the robert extension then it's starting to get real and you right. had Andrew Vaughn tearing it up last year. You have Nick Madrigal on the brink of making his debut. Michael Kopech's coming back. See where I'm going with this? I mean, this is about as excited as we have been as Sox fans really across the decade, I think, in terms of realistic expectations regarding the team. And, you know, as a, as a minor league blog for the White Sox, we were covering this as it kind of turned into what it is now, it's all mixing together and it is ready to take off. It's just, we got to be patient here and, and it will take off, but I'm curious to know what you were feeling across the off season as I just kind of laid it out for you. And I just want to say one thing before I get into that question, like, you know how you were talking about the grind earlier. Yeah. Like it has to feel great for you guys going through the grind to finally see 
all of this starting to come to fruition, right? Like, I mean, you're like, yeah, they might not assign this guy, but this guy's coming, you know, Kopech's coming up, or Magical, or, or Lubob, or Mike Rodolfo, you know, one of those, whatever. Like, and be excited about that because you've been covering them so long. That's, that's, I love that. I love hearing that. Um, as far as this year through the off season for me, um, I, oh man, I was a little bit more dark than normal. Um, I don't know why. I just felt like, you know, after the Wheeler thing didn't happen because I was kind of like all in on that. And then Ryu, I was in on him too. And then like both of those didn't happen. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> I'm yeah. like, well, we got Grendel, so it's cool. Right. And then they did the Nomar Mazara trade. And I know a lot of people disagree with me on this, but I was a huge proponent of Yusil Puig. And the reason why, the reason why is because I, I guess it's just like a personality trait. I love having that kind of, no offense, Puig, that D bag on your team. Like, I always think that makes your team a little bit better, having that guy that's not afraid to get in the mud. Um, but, you know, they didn't do that. They got Mazzara. But then after they landed Keuchel and then, you know, EE was signed. I think he was signed on Christmas. Am I right on that? Uh, sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was signed. I remember seeing that on Christmas, I think, at the in-laws. Yeah, Keuchel, I think, was the 23rd or something. It, it seemed to be like every – it was like a week apart, and then it was like two days apart they were doing something. And it was just like – I remember on Christmas seeing the EE thing. And as soon as I saw that one, I was like, oh, my God, they're serious about competing. Because why would you – you know what I mean? Like, why would you bring him in if you're not serious about competing? So I, that kind of turned a lot around for me personally. You know, he's a veteran. Yeah, he's going to hit you. You know, I, I don't think he's hit less than 32 bombs in how long? You know, six years or something. So um, I, I that was a big turning point this offseason for me. And then, of course, you know, the Luis Robert, you know, deal, and then Yuan Makata and, and all that kind of stuff happening. It, a lot to be excited about. There's a lot to be excited about. And unfortunately, you know, we have to wait a little bit longer, but as long as we all remember that it's it will be here eventually, it's just how patient can you be, I guess. Yeah, Buzz. So, I mean, I tried not to get, like, super dark, obviously. You know, like, Yasmani Grandal was probably my number one target, but I had no idea that they were actually, like, going to do something like that. And I was sitting at school one day, and all of a sudden it was, like, 11 o'clock in the morning, released from, you know, the White Sox official Twitter. Like, we just signed Yasmani Grandal, and it's like, let's go, you know, and then... Then you hear about the Wheeler interest and, you know, like we had had some inkling that the White Sox were pretty confident that they were actually going to get that done. So that was like kind of a shock up until the end. And then, you know, after they didn't get Wheeler, kind of like you mentioned, everybody just kind of went into, you know, old White Sox fan, like depression mode, like they're going to get stuck with nobody. And some of that was just because like Keuchel's a Scott Boris client and they haven't signed Boris clients in the past. So you know, I think that was probably like a 10 day stretch there where, you know, it was, it was kind of like darkness on Twitter. And then, you know, then it rebounded nicely after that. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, like, and I hate to say that, like I, I, like I told you guys, I usually try to like, look at the bright side. There's one franchise in the city. I don't look at the bright side with, and it's typically the bears, but (laughs) (laughs) you know, but with the white Sox, I usually, I'm not that way. And I, I did, I got dark there for a minute because I'm like, man, I'm like, you know, we're putting all this time in and you have to think like going back to socks on tap 2019, we did a hundred and like 37 post game shows, you know? So it's like we were on the mic every night after every game for the most part. And you know, you're like, okay, well the second half of the season really sucked. So like, hopefully they do something in the off season to, you know, to get that fire back rolling because the first half of last year, I'm sure you both will agree, was fantastic. I, I had a great time watching White Sox baseball. I think there were two games under 500 going into the break. 
and uh, it kind of went downhill from there. So this off season, when things didn't, I was acting like a spoiled little brat, to be honest with you. I didn't get what I wanted. I pouted. And then they made it up to me by getting, you know, some other, you know, some other cool toys. So that's basically what happened. But, you know, like I said, the optimism still through the roof and I, I regret my moment of weakness. Well, I mean, I listen, I don't blame you as a Sox fan, you know, like after every every offseason that you you want to go out and, and commit to the, a lot of these players and they're just not doing what it took to to lure them in, whether it's paying them or giving them whatever, you know, the, the best chance to, to come here, whether it's designing the team to entice them like it just hasn't been there. So, yeah, there's a lot of pessimism that that's attached to a White Sox offseason. But I think the way it turned out, Sox fans at this point. It's the best that things could have turned based on the circumstances. And it also allowed them to get creative with the way that they extended a lot of their core players, which I think is the biggest win of them all. And James, you can even allude to this too. Their commitment now to one spending internationally with Marco Patti, as well as committing to maybe prep talent in the draft. Brad, I'd love to get into the draft philosophy a little bit. You know, the way that they approached last year in grabbing, you know, an Andrew Dahlquist and a Matthew Thompson, as well as sticking to their guns and committing to a a Nick Madrigal when they did and passing up on a high school shortstop in favor of an Andrew Vaughn, despite the plethora of position players at his position at first base. I mean, I think the Sox have something going now with the way that their, their staff is set. Their philosophy, top down philosophy is really starting to become steady and it's organization wide now going from affiliate to affiliate. I think it's really exciting to see. Oh, I agree with you on that. I mean, as far as they, you know, approach the draft last year, I, the Andrew Vaughn thing, I don't know why a lot of people are so mad about that. He's a golden spikes winner. Correct me if I'm wrong. Am I wrong? Yep. No, you're right. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's a ton of potential there and I, I actually do love the Matthew Thompson draft pick i don't know why but I, I i tend to go towards these guys i think that he's got you know i think he's only 19 years old at this point in time this this kid's gonna be very very good i i love it i love his fastball i love his breaking ball he looks pretty decent so I'm, I'm excited about that to see what he can actually do heading into this draft i'm not like i said i read a lot of your guys's news <laughs> to to really formulate an opinion I'm not sure where they go. That's why I'm kind of interested to hear what, you know, you or James has to say about it because I've read some of your stuff to see where you think they're going, but I'm, again, you guys dive so far deep into the college baseball realm of things or, you know, internationally. I actually learned about international bonus pool money from you guys because I had no idea how that worked. I'm not even going to lie to you. I had no clue how that worked. So, um, you know, I learned a lot from that. So I, I kind of answer your question with another question. I have no idea where they're going. Where do you think they're going? Yeah, so – I. We've talked, we've referenced like on the show that we saw Mike Shirley talk. He's the new um, director of amateur scouting. And he did like place an emphasis on basically saying that they were going to be targeting starting pitchers for one. You know, they've taken a lot of relievers lately. Um, and then, you know, more prep talent overall. And then, you know, a couple of the guys that they're interested in, like we've mentioned on the show, Ed Howard, there's a high school right hander from Texas. But then as the baseball season kind of got canceled for amateurs, like if they go the college pitching route, um, nobody should be surprised just because it's it's much safer, and you know there's like way more data. Like they know Ed Howard really well. Ed Howard played at Mount Carmel. 
But he, if but, you but correct Ed me Howard, if I'm wrong, he's the one Ed, – Ed Howard is the one that you guys in your article had put at the 11th pick for the White Sox this year, correct? I did because they really like him and because, like – the, he he shares an agent with Tim Anderson. He played in their ace program, but Ed Howard's not going to play baseball games like before the draft this year. So, look, if they decided that it's just too risky and there's a college pitcher sitting there, like they might ultimately do that. So, like months ago, I was pretty much into this. Like, yeah, they're they're taking a high school player, and they still might. Um, but it could be pitching, and the only thing that would surprise me is if they took a college position player just because you know they're a little bit older not that they're like rosters completely set but i mean look this thing goes right they are pretty set at most spots so you know that that's an area that that's something that would surprise me there was another picture i know you had in that article because i just, just read it the other day i think it was saturday or sunday i read it god i'm trying to remember his name is another vandy pick picture i want to say jake at jake something. yeah here so i yeah. i mocked the next two picks for the socks too but i mean that's just like guys that'll be around in that range and they were like complete guesses obviously but well right i mean yeah but i mean obviously you have a little bit of knowledge on that you know what i'm saying where you're able to formulate an opinion like i said i get a lot of my my draft news from you guys like that's how i kind of formulate my own opinion and then when i see you know you guys talking about somebody i'm like oh okay that's cool and then you know they get drafted and then i follow them by myself but also through you guys through the minor league system that's why I always thought that Future Sox was such a bad. Oh, I, I don't know if I could swear. I don't, I caught myself. Yeah, go for it. it. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I caught fine. myself. I was gonna say that's why it's Future Sox such a is like a badass website to follow when you want to dive in deep on players that you don't necessarily know who they are within the minor leagues. You know, obviously you know all the all the hot ones like your you know, Lou Bob when he was there. You know, Nick Madrigal, uh, Michael Rodolfo, John Stever. You know, Jimmy Lambert. Um, you know, I mean the list goes on and on you know um but i i get a lot of my information from you guys and i i hold that i i hold that you know to the upteenth degree just because like i think that you guys put out badass work and that's thank you what, and that's how you form an opinion is by you know reading a bunch of different opinions and whatnot but i think you guys have probably the best opinions out of the minor leagues out of anybody i've ever seen so yeah we appreciate that i <laughs> appreciate that as well i cracked um, one to, i cracked yeah. one to that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's really good stuff man you know we we love to hear that feedback obviously it helps us get better and uh drives us to do more and to stay as credible as can be and you know it's it's we're we're all just a bunch of guys doing doing what we love and that's what it's about and we're trying to you know get it out to everybody else who loves following white Sox baseball be it minor leagues or at the big league level and that's part of the reason why we had you on this podcast is because you know you obviously the majority of us follow the big league club and then when it comes to the minor league scene it's like that safety blanket it's like okay well the big league club isn't doing so hot, so let's check on how the Knights are doing. And the Knights are like 30 games below 500, and it's like, okay. You know, we're, we're in for a rough couple of years here. But lately, the minor league scene has taken precedent, and it goes beyond just the Louis, um, the, the Lewis Roberts and the Andrew Vaughns now. Um, you know, these high-end prospects, Michael Kopex, Dylan Cease, who are starting to translate, Nick Magical, it, it, it goes beyond that, like, James, I reference this all the time, your top 30 and how we have our just missed list. There are so many other names who missed the top 30 who were, you know, worthy of being recognized. And that's something, Brad, that I think for the first time in a long time, White Sox fans can celebrate. So I want to ask you, you know, among those guys, I mean, you can name any prospect that you're extremely excited about. Uh, but if there's anybody else that maybe I didn't mention, Dane Dunning, Jonathan Stever, Zach Collins, 
Louis Alexander Basave. We talked uh, Mike Rodolfo, Blake Rutherford, Gavin Sheets. I mean, the names, Luis Gonzalez, Gilbert Sanchez, it continues. Right. Um, that's just really exciting, I think. You know what? One guy, and if I could bring it personally real quick, if that's all right, one guy I'm very, very excited about, and just because I want him to succeed because I've, I've been able to have conversation with conversations with him is Jake Berger. Um, he said he, he got up the other day. I don't know if you guys saw that story that broke, but you know, he was like brought to tears because like he didn't feel pain and it was a really cool article to read. I wish I could cite where I read that, but I can't remember. Um, but I, I hope Jake Berger succeeds. Um, you know, Zach Birdie's another one. I think that he's got good stuff. I'm always, I always butcher his last name, but I want to say Connor Pilkington. Mm-hmm. I think that he's going to be all right. I think he's going to be good. And then there's another guy that a lot of people wanted to get their, you know, to have him get his shot. And that's uh, your main Mercedes. I, I really, sure. I, I like him a lot. That dude hits bombs. Um, also, again, another guy that came up to the show, I believe he had two stints last year on the show. Uh, and that's Sebi Zavala. Unfortunately, it didn't really work out for him, but I always hope for the best for him just because, uh, you know, he's, again, these are guys that we had reached out to that gave us the time of day. Um, you know, and again, like we said, we're just a bunch of normal dudes. We're not in the in the press crazily or anything like that. But those guys, I, I really hope good things for and hopefully that they could prove something. If I had to choose one prospect that I really, really wish worked out, and I do think he has the talent to, and I just don't know why it hasn't really translated, that's Blake Rutherford. I just don't. I just don't know why it hasn't really uh, clicked for him. But hopefully it does. Yeah, I mean, it definitely makes sense to root for you know those guys that you know went on your show or gave you the time of day. I mean, that that's like one of the things that we do here is that we cover the draft so extensively, and like you know we're we're like talking to kids about whether they're going to sign or not, and then you build a relationship, and we do like interviews with them and stuff, and you know it doesn't it doesn't get too hard to like cover them and still be fond of you know, what they might be. So that's, yeah, that I agree with that. And I'm glad that you brought up Jake Berger. Me and Mike have been doing these podcasts and we haven't really talked about Jake Berger a ton since like um, the new news came out. Um, I think it was James Fegan piece with the athletic that you referenced. And then, you know, hearing Berger on Chuck Garfine's podcast was really positive because it was one of these things where it was just like so ominous with him. Like you didn't hear anything. And if you hear nothing, like that's not good. You know, and you hear whispers that like he just like wasn't doing well. So then, you know, when he says that he's he's taking ground balls and hitting and he he thought that he was going to break with an affiliate like we think that, you know, whether there's minor league baseball or not, I'm expecting him to go out with a team like that. That's like very positive. And Jake Berger is one of these guys where, you know, obviously a high pick. We had him down pretty far on our list this year. Just, you know, just because it's like it's hard to rank him when he hasn't played in two years. But that's the type of guy where if he goes out to Winston Salem and he and he, you know, mashes early, like he's gonna get right back up into the White Sox like top twelve, top thirteen prospects just because some of these guys are gonna graduate. So that's like actually, you know, they've had trouble with injuries, you know, the last couple of years. Jake Berger's story is actually turning into a really promising one, and he's a really good kid. So you know, that's that's a really good development. I think that's why, like, I. I, I would be a horrible GM, right? Because I get tied to people, even if they're not going to, you know, obviously I understand this is a business. I think we all get that. This is a business at the end of the day. That's why I'd be horrible as a GM or anything. Because once I have like a tie to somebody, I'm loyal to a fault. Does that make <laughs> sense? <laughs> you know, like I, I'm loyal to a fault. See, so. I'd, I'd be the other way. I'd be like, you know, Kenny, Williams. I'd trade a guy like mid inning if they don't like run out. Like, <laughs> you know, like, oh, yeah, it would be bad, but 
Yeah, I no, I totally understand, and that's why you'd be better at that job than me for sure. Here, here's what I would do. I, I'd keep guys like Dylan Covey and Kevin Smith around until you know the, the sun doesn't set. You know what I mean? Uh, it's 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 fascinating to get your guys' takes on that. I'm glad as well that you brought up Jake Berger because, yeah, you're right, James. We haven't really talked about Berger, so we should a little bit right now. And Brad, uh, what what you said is 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 right on the money in terms of. The impact that he made when he said that, when he would wake up, when he woke up without any pain, and it brought him to tears. Like this is real life, the personal side of it. This this affects you in so many ways, mentally, of course. And this is your livelihood. This is all he's ever done. He's a first round draft pick, and then all of a sudden, because of two really terrible injuries, it's all taken away from him. And then you think, okay, whether or not is this going to happen? Um, but yeah, like you said, James, he was ticketed to break camp with the team if all things was were on schedule and brad i think that is the best news that anybody could hear all off season oh absolutely man and, and you know just going back to your point about like you know when we're talking he's a human being right and i think that a lot of people sometimes i get they get so tied in within the organ i, I don't know if this may actually go to the earlier question on that, why people think we're relatable or whatever man i don't want to see anybody fail i don't like besides Jim Boylan, probably, but yep. you know, <laughs> when it comes, when it comes to, when, you know, when it comes to somebody like that, he's a young kid, man, I'm 28. I think he's 23, you know, and he, he's never, you know, done anything else besides play baseball, you know, and you got to think how, how many people like attack on social media or whatever. And I'm sure he's got his own demons in his head of like, why can't I stay healthy? So when you see a story like that, a positive one, I, I flock towards it because, you know, you could use a little bit of positivity in the world sometimes, man. And, and for him and for his story, the book that he's writing, hopefully this is like the where he turns the page and, you know, health is a consistent. He can get back to doing what he does best, and that's play baseball. And he could do it with the organization that drafted him that has kept faith in him up to this point. So, you know, I'm, 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 I'm excited to see what Jake does in the future. And, you know, like I said, just being close with him and talking to him through Twitter DMs or we're actually in the same MLB The Show League on PlayStation. So you know, I'm fortunate enough to, to be able to kind of have conversation with them a little bit. I wouldn't say like all the time, but consistently he's a good kid and I'm, I'm definitely pulling for the kid. Yeah. And we, and we talked about too, just James brought up the fact that we still ranked him on our top 30 at future socks. I believe he was ranked 30th overall. I can double check that real quick, but the fact that we still had him on, a, on our list with him, you know, he was 29th. Um, yeah. So check that 29th on our future socks list, but the fact that he was still there, you know, says a lot about a guy who had hasn't played in a game since 2017. But the skill set that you have in that bat, Buzz, it's something to behold. That's why we're all rooting for him on top of the fact that, you know, it's a great story for him to overcome this serious injury and, and the mental hurdles. But the value that he can bring to the field is the reason why the White Sox drafted him so high. Yeah, he's got some power. <laughs> he's got some power behind him. So, I mean, and, and you know, the, the thing about Jake, you know, and I watched like some, you know, college highlights of him. He's got a good eye at the plate too, which is nice. Um, I think that he, you know, with a little bit of consistency in his game, getting over these injuries that he can actually build his way up, back up the prospect list. And, you know, hopefully maybe again, if he stays healthy, cruise through the minor league system and who knows what happens in maybe a year, year and a half. Yeah. And I mean, before we, you know, before baseball, like stopped even, we had really no idea that he was even like playing just cause they're, you know, they're, we get information sometimes obviously, but they're very secretive about that stuff and especially stuff related to health. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't until really we had Matt Spiegel from Six Seventy on and 
you know, I had heard him kind of talking about Jake Berger was back hitting off of like their new force play technology that they're using and stuff. And then shortly thereafter, Berger did the podcast with Chuck Garfine. And obviously like, you know, he's not going to do the podcast unless he's feeling good about himself. So yeah, yeah right. that, that was just like very promising, obviously. So Brad, for you, as we move uh, ahead in this podcast, really appreciate your time. Really good stuff so far. I mentioned some of the young players. How familiar are you with like a guy like James Beard or, or like a Bryce Bush or Lennon Sosa? Any of those guys ring a bell for you? Yeah, Lennon Sosa. He was uh, he was with Kannapolis last year, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Full season, yeah, yeah and he's yeah. still young. Yep. Yeah, he's a young guy. Um, I remember reading a lot of the articles about um, – oh, God, see, now I'm drawing a blank on his name. Yolbert Sanchez that James was writing. He was an international signing – um, James Beard, I've, I, I have heard of James Beard, but I'm not going to sit and lie to you and tell you I know everything about uh, his career so uh, up to this point because um, I because I really don't. I know he was drafted by us in last year. Yeah, yeah. he was yeah. like round six, round five, maybe uh, four, I think. Was it four? OK, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. So that's how I know. I know him. He spent some time in Arizona. Um, but other than that, I don't. Uh, yeah, I'm not really. You know, too, I don't dive that far, I guess, uh, of course. deep into it, you know. Yeah, and I bring that up because it goes back to the point where, you know, the White Sox are focused on these prep talent players. And obviously what we're focused on uh, immediately are the players maybe in AA, AAA, and now into the majors. But And a lot of the time, James, and I'm seeing this too, like experts are saying below the top five in the White Sox system, it kind of drops off. And to me, I don't necessarily see that the same way, maybe because I'm so locked in and I'm fond of these players. And I think it goes beyond just the Kopex and the Madrigals and the Roberts and Vaughns. Don't you think? I think, well, I think the issue with the system is like, you know, the eight to like 20 ish range. I think that's why like guys that rank the system, like have trouble with it. Now, you know, like you would take their system over some deeper ones just because of those top five dudes at the top. Like, you know, nobody's going to take a bunch of depth over Luis Robert, Michael Kopech, Vaughn, and, you know, Madrigal per se. But like, yeah, like the issue is like some of the outfielders we've talked about that haven't progressed, your Rutherford, your Basabe, like those guys were supposed to be better and they're just not. Like we've, we've, we've talked at length about the changes they've made where they finally started adding youth and, you know, most of those guys are in that 20 to 30 range and they can climb, but those guys can also be used in trades, which is, you know, like a huge factor here when you're trying to win. So, like, I do agree once, like, these top guys graduate, the system's not going to be ranked as highly, but I don't think it automatically craters to, like, you know, the 28th, 29th, 30th ranked system in baseball. I think it's still probably, you know, like, right around 20, maybe. And look, like... Kenny Williams found a way to trade prospects like when we didn't have any. So, you know, if that's like the use of your system, if your team is mostly homegrown with a couple of free agent additions and all you're using your system for annually is like trading for established talent, th they have enough to continue to do that, I think. I, I agree yeah. with that because you said after the top five, a lot of people say, or even the top four, really, because if, I, if I'm not mistaken, the MLB's top four is like, within the system it's it's Lou Bob for sure I know that I think Vaughn surpassed Madrigal he went to two then Kopech was three and then it was Madrigal I'm pretty sure that's what it was when I looked last after that like you know Dane Dunning was a top 100 prospect at one time right Zach Collins was the same way and Zach Collins they had pretty down there and this is going off the MLB website if I'm not mistaken I think he was like nine 
eight or nine. But you know, I think we have I think we have players that can be you know still players in the league. There's a lot of people with belief in uh, Luis Alexander Basabe. There's a lot of believers in him, and I'm a believer in Mike Rodolfo. That dude's a monster. If he could pit, mm-hmm. put it together, I think he's going to be a really good player. I think you know. He might be able to – if this Nomar Mazzara thing doesn't work out, maybe he's the guy that solves the right field issues. I could be 100% wrong on that. But, you know, dude's got a monster bat. So, who knows, man. But I don't think that – I don't think that we go down to, like, one of the worst farm systems in all of baseball just because Kopech and Lubob come up. I just I, – I just don't – I don't think that. Yeah, I, yeah, I get that. And I've always been a big fan of Mike Rodolfo, but I'm going to let Mike talk about Mike Rodolfo and <laughs> his, his experience in Arizona seeing, you know, the, I think, I think Mike Rodolfo is still the um, $1.6 million bonus. And I, I talk about this a lot is that's still the, uh, the most money that the White Sox have given to like a 16 year old amateur. Yeah, I don't want to make, I don't want to make Mike mad. So I'm a little nervous now. No, 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 no. <laughs> I uh, I'm just very disappointed in in Mick Rodolfo's career path to this point. Obviously, you can't help the injuries. Couple major arm surgeries that he had. It was the yeah. eight, or the um, Tommy John, and then he had to get mm-hmm. reconstructed or whatever. They had to go in there and fix it again. Yeah. Uh, so that cost him a lot of time, and just he hasn't been able to find it. I'm not writing him off yet, but at this point, he is just he's not where he needs to be anywhere close um, to being considered. You know, one of those guys that you should expect to come up this year hypothetically you know should they play uh he needs a lot of reps and he needs to get his approach right um and that's me being nice about it <laughs> it's just like let yeah, loose man let loose it's no 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 <laughs> it, well the thing is it's all it's all up in the air to this point based on him specifically because of the variables that came into play with his career right you know he, he had so many limited at bats in the arizona league or whatever it was or the arizona fall league struggled big time then we came back didn't wasn't wasn't very good um you know in this spring training he you don't want to look at the numbers for this spring so he needs more reps but we mentioned a ton of guys there you know like the Luis Gonzalez is we didn't even mention him but there are so many outfielders that are ticketed for Birmingham the Rutherford uh that we mentioned I I don't Brad I don't know what your opinion is on Blake Rutherford I'd love to get your take I know you mentioned him a little bit earlier um but he put on 15 pounds this offseason I think the White Sox are working with his swing, so he's getting more loft into it. You know, he's more of a gap-to-gap guy. For Blake Rutherford to have success in this league, he's someone who needs to keep that power, or excuse me, keep that weight on and incorporate a little bit more power than he's shown throughout his career. And then suddenly, I think he could be a legitimate player, whether they want to deal him or incorporate him into the future as like a fourth outfielder or something. Luis uh, Alexander Basabe is another one, very similar. I would rank Basabe over Rutherford, but that's just me. I'd love to get your take there between the two. Well, between Basabe and, and Rutherford, listen, the reason I kind of fe- – fell in love sounds so weird, doesn't it? Uh, the reason I really like uh, Rutherford's game is I believe it was in 2018. He had a really good year. He was batting damn near 300 in, in uh, Winston-Salem. Dude had like 15 stolen bases. He had like about 80 ribbies somewhere in there. I know he didn't hit double-digit home runs. I want to say it was maybe five home runs that he hit. Maybe maybe a little bit more. I'm going off the top of my head. I could look it up. I should, but I'm not – yeah, I'm too lazy. But uh, I, that year, I really, really liked him. He came over from that Yankees trade, and I just – I really liked him when I was you know re- doing a lot of reading about him. Once he was promoted in 2019 to go to Birmingham, I know a lot of people were kind of soured on him, but the numbers were kind of similar. I know his stolen bases were down, 
Um, and you know, he hit the same amount of homers two years back to back. I'm gonna actually pull that up now. It it's seven. Okay. He had seven home runs both years. So I, RBIs were really far down. I don't know. I don't know where he was in the, uh, in the lineup, but the at-bats were about the same. Um, but I, I always thought that he could be a good fielder. He had a little bit of speed behind him. You know, I, I liked him a lot. Now, <laughs> Boston Bay is a fun one for me because I don't really understand his game. I, and what I mean by that is I feel that he has like all the potential in the world, but I feel he's impatient behind the plate. His OBP was high in 2018. I don't know what it was in 2019. I'm not even going to lie to you. I don't know if it, if it went down. I think he had, he was about three, maybe 354, three, maybe 360 somewhere in 2018. I don't know where he was in 2019, but uh, I don't know which one's better. If you put Basabe ahead of him, I got to take, I got to take your word for it because I mean, you guys cover this stuff a lot more than I do. I know he had a bunch of bombs in 18, but I don't know what I don't, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know what he did last year. Yeah, so he missed la- like most of last year. He broke like the Hammett bone in his wrist oh, right. in spring training. Yep, and and like when you do that, it's just like impossible to come back. So like I have Basabe ahead of Rutherford just strictly because um, Basabe can play center field. He can play all three outfield spots with like a strong enough arm, and he he does have like a power projection to where you know like fourth outfielder profile that could start like occasionally. My issue with Blake Rutherford has always been power and. I really liked Blake Rutherford when he came out in the draft. He was like a California high school kid. Um, he he had like comps to Grady Sizemore. But then in pro ball, it's just like never happened. And so Blake Rutherford is basically, you know, like relegated himself to an outfield corner. He can't play center. So if he's going to be in a corner, he's got to hit for power. And he just doesn't. So he does look a lot bigger. Um, you know, we had good reports on like what he looked like in spring training and he was like lofting the ball a little bit, but I mean, you know, he just, he's not going to be able to stick in a corner and hit six or seven home runs a season. It's just not going to work. Right. So do you think the weight gain benefits him? I mean, as far as like, you know, strength goes, I think it can benefit him, but I still like, I don't really like his swing. Like he doesn't, he doesn't like try to hit home runs like any, you know, and like a slap hitter. What, what, yeah, which is fine, but right. I mean, like he's not—he's not, he's not going to play for this White Sox team like that. So I would actually prefer that he go to Charlotte and maybe runs into some, and then you can trade him. Hopefully, that would be—that would be the most ideal, I think. Right on. Yeah, a lot—a lot of those players that we just talked about, and uh, the jumbled up outfield mix that we're keeping an eye on. Who those guys are a part of our top fifteen, really, in uh, in Birmingham. So like that's a storyline that we should keep an eye on mainly because when you look at the White Sox current outfield situation, you know, Adam Engel's there. He's, he's a, he's a top defender on the team. Robert's going to be your opening day center fielder. You have the issues in the corner with Mazzara and as well as Eloy, but at the same time, it's like, okay, how do the prospects now fit when you bring up a guy like Gavin Sheets? It's hard to see what the plan is for him you know, even when you bring in Zach Collins into the mix, right? How are, how is this all going to work? You extended Abreu, uh, Vaughn is going to be your everyday player over at first base, and if not, something's terribly wrong. Uh, we know that Zach Collins could play a little bit of first base, but they want to focus on him as a catcher. And then when you throw the DH spot into it, it's like okay, Grandal, Mazzara, Abreu, you know, all of these guys can get involved here, and it's just such a jumbled mix at first in the corners and behind the plate. So, you know, look into your future <laughs> crystal ball, Brad, and, and tell me the future of the White Sox and how you think the White Sox may 
um, fix this, I guess, issue. It's a good problem to have, I, I would say. It's but... always great to have a log jam, right? I mean, you know, because then you know you have good players that are going to be incorporated into the future. As far as Zach Collins goes, I, I do like Zach Collins, again, because I'm tied. It, it's my stupid loyalty, and I just get tied to people, but I just don't – he's not a catcher, and he's not going to beat out Andrew Vaughn for a first base spot when Abreu decides to be an everyday DH or he decides to hang him up, right? It's going to be Vaughn. We know Vaughn's going there. That's what's happening, unless there's some sort of massive trade that we don't know. Um, I see the same fate for Collins and Gavin Sheets. You can't, you know, if they are going to prove themselves to be able to play out of the minors, they're not going to be a part of the long-term future of this organization. I, I, I really don't think so. I don't know if that'll turn into high-end reliever help. Maybe if, you know, starting pitching doesn't pan out. You know, uh, I really don't know. But, I mean, that's where I'm at. I, I highly doubt, especially Collins. He's, I mean, he's like, what, 25? I think Collins is 25. He's getting up there. Yeah, he's getting up there. So, you know, I, I really don't see him a part of the long-term future. And, you know, give a little bit of a shout-out here. James and I deal with him constantly on Twitter. But that's that's Ken W.O. He's been calling to trade him forever. You know, I mean, just get get something back for him. Um I don't know where you guys stand on that, but I, I don't know about those two. I think that Vaughn's going to be, you know, Vaughn's probably, I don't know what his ETA is. It, people say that it could even be in 2020 after, after all of this. I, I don't know. Obviously, you know, we don't even know if we're going to get a season, but I mean, 2021 seems a little bit more fair because he was in Winston Salem. That's as high as he's gotten, I believe. Um, so I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know what happens to those guys, but I, I don't see him being with the team while we're winning world series now that was that was uh silver linings right there i shouldn't yeah. have said that but i just changed <laughs> I, 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 be, I believe in the juju man you know and i yeah, just no, i don't like the sure. jinx things i do not like the jinx things i shouldn't have said that but you know he won't be a part of our long-term success that's how i should have put that yeah i mean i i agree with mike as far as like the one guy that's gonna be in the mix is andrew vaughn so I guess everything else kind of functions around that. Like he wasn't going to make it to the majors this year, but you know, there was like a realistic chance that he was just going to absolutely rake at Birmingham. And then you're looking at a 2021 debut for sure. Mm-hmm. While Abreu signed for the next two years, like they could easily just like not pick up the option on Encarnacion, right. you know, and then you're looking at Abreu at DH, Andrew Vaughn as your long, as your like long range first baseman. But there are still all these other guys floating around. Your Zach Collins, who could, you know, he could be on the team because he's a left-handed bat. Um, but then you have like Gavin Sheets, who has no spot at all. You have even like your mean Mercedes, who we've talked about. So I mean, ideally for those guys, it goes back to like you know the trade value, like we said. I mean, hopefully if they ever get a season role in here, Gavin Sheets goes to Charlotte, and there's a lively baseball, and he you know starts hitting the ball in the air, and that's a guy you can trade for a reliever at the deadline, and. And that's fine. Like former second round pick, like, you know, these guys don't have to be big leaguers for you. If they're big leaguers for somebody else like that, that still helps your franchise quite a bit. Right. You still benefit off of their, you know, their successes within the minor leagues, you know, whether that's with you or not remains to be seen, obviously. But if they're, you know, they're killing it down in Birmingham or Charlotte or whatever like that. And like, you know, James said, you had a reliever, you had pitching something that's you know, because all these positions seems to be, you know, seem to be filled. Like the biggest question right now, I mean, let's 100% be honest here, is right field, right? I mean, you know, Madrigal is going to be slated for second base. You have Abreu over at first, who will be Vaughn eventually. They don't pick up the option on EE, then it's Abreu as the DH. You have Andrew Vaughn over there. You have Madrigal. You got Timmy. You have Yohan Makata. You have Eloy. You have Luis Robert. You got the right field there. You signed Yaz to a pretty decent contract. 
you know, I mean, everything seems to be figured out. I wonder if they, you know, use some of these guys, if they perform well to just stack on the pitching to make just a, a crazy good squad. That's kind of what I know this is going to sound weird and people are probably gonna make fun of me for it. And that's fine. It's kind of what I do in the video game. <laughs> you know, I, I, I trade for, yeah. I trade for, you know, uh, good pitching because my, my, my bats and my position players are already very good. Yeah, uh, bats are a little bit more projectable than pitchers because uh, you never know with right. those arms and the taxing uh, that they have on their bodies. That you know, it's just you can't. You it's so difficult to invest three hundred million dollars into a pitcher. You know what I mean? And more power to you if you commit to those dollars. Like it, it's paid off for Max Scherzer and the Cubs with John Lester. You know, but it's it's sometimes a huge gamble, um, and you don't want to put yourself in such a deep hole. But hey. The White Sox, just wrapping up this conversation here, Brad, it's really, really good stuff. It's like they're finally in a position, though, where we're talking about, yes, we can use the farm system in order to bolster the major league talent through trade. You know, we can capitalize on this talent instead of praying to God that they're going to get up to the big league level and have success. The way that they've been able to maneuver around the offseason as well as capitalize on these core players that they've invested in, it's it's giving them – such flexibility and they're putting themselves in such a position where a lot of these decisions you can propel this organization forward and it's not so much these might cripple your franchise because you feel like you're in such a good spot um overall you know what i'm saying oh absolutely dude absolutely agree with you 100 percent on that that's exciting exciting stuff Uh, and i know james james big zach collins fan listen i'm i am a, a fan of zach collins as well just based on the fact that you have a power-hitting left-handed bat who catches behind the plate with an outstanding eye in a plate approach. I want to see it translate. When you when you watch his swing, it's 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 sometimes difficult. You know, it, it's a long swing, and there's a lot of moving parts there. And he's trying to simplify it, but there still, you can't break the habit of the hitch that he that he's got incorporated. So, you know, you can tear it up in AAA, but that's just a 4A player. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, if you're not able to allow it to translate in the bigs. Yeah, that that's just a term that we used a lot on uh, Socks on Tap last year. Is your you know your quadruple A players? You know, you got your hot takes. Danny Mendick is going to be a quadruple A player. Nicky Delmonico is a quadruple A player. You know, um, it, just things like that that you'd like to get away from when you start winning. You know what I mean? Like you got to prove. Yeah, it. Gordon Beckham for a time too. You know what sucks? Yeah. I loved him. The Ra- the Ryan Cordells and Charlie yeah, Tilson. Charlie Tilson. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like you know, Gordon Beckham, man. I lo- I'm not gonna lie to you guys. I got a jersey upstairs. You know, like good I'd, for you. I I loved him, man. When he was a rookie, you know, I thought he was awesome. You know, granted, I was young. I, I mean, what was he rookie in 2008? Something like that, I think. Sounds um, about that right. Yeah, yeah, sounds about right. Like I just remember, you know, I was I think I was a junior in high school. I just thought he was gonna be the real deal, Holyfield, man. Turned out not to be that way. <laughs> you know, but uh, I, I was it Brett Morrell too. Yeah, Brett Morrell. Remember Josh Fields? You know, like I thought Josh Fields. I mean, oh, yeah. I thought he was gonna be good too. You know, like it didn't turn out to be that way. But you know, again, I was Josh. Young. Josh Fields hit the grand slam in Burley's perfect game. You're right. Did he really? He did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah he was just on TV the other day. And he was I remember, playing yeah. first base I that game, that. correct, James? During the, I think he was. Josh I Fields. think so. I was at, I was at the game, but. Really? I didn't really? remember where the runs came from. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. See, my th- that game was July twenty third, two thousand nine, if I'm not mistaken. My birthday is actually July twenty first, right. yeah. and I was at the game on July twenty first that we lost. 
<laughs> and you know, like imagine how pissy yeah. I was two days later after I'm like, oh, you know, to my, she's my wife now, but my <laughs> girlfriend at the time, like, thanks for buying me, you know, tickets on my actual birthday, not two days later. You suck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, couple, couple things too. Uh, I got close. The closest I got to a perfect game was um, when the Sox were playing Anaheim and Chris Sale was on the bump. I think was it six and a third, and he faced Mike Trout, and he singled up the middle. So that was that. Um, and I was at a Sox game, actually, when Zambrano threw that no-hitter. Oh, wow. Uh, but I missed it. Yeah, I missed it because I was at the damn Sox game. You know? <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, good stuff, Brad. Really good stuff over at ONTAP Sportsnet and Sox on tap as well. I'm rooting for you. We're, we're hoping that you continue to do what you do and grow um, to where you want to be. And, you know, we got your back. Oh, 100%, man. You know, I hope you guys feel the same way. Like I said, I wasn't trying to come on here and, you know, pat backs or whatever, but, like, you guys have great content when it comes to the minor leagues. That's where I learn a lot of the things that I do learn that I'm able to talk about on our podcast or talk about when somebody asks me a question. You know, it's like, oh, okay, well, this is, the you know, the opinion that I formulated. This is where I read it. You know, reference your work always. People should always know that. Reference where, you you know, you, you learn something at. But I absolutely, man, you know, don't be strangers. You know, we love to drink some beers. We love to watch baseball. I think that, uh, you know, I think that we'll be together in lot B as soon as the season comes about, you know, we're going to have a huge tailgate. That's that was the plan for opening day. That was a plan for the Saturday after opening day. I hope when the season does, hopefully if it does come back to Chicago, if we're, if we're lucky enough to get something like that this year, that you guys come out, drink a couple of beers and we watch good White Sox baseball and hopefully a winner. We'll get there. We'll get there in time. Just got to be smart. Listen to medical professionals. Don't go outside. Do all the do all the necessary to contain this bad boy. But then, yeah, baseball, it's, it's waiting for us. It's not going to totally disappear, even if we have to miss a full season. Obviously, hope not. Um, but, yeah, Brad Squires, outstanding stuff on the Future Sox podcast, which you can subscribe to on iTunes as well as on Spotify. Uh, go to anchor.fm slash future socks and check us out. We have our full library there. And one more time, for Brad Squires, you can follow him, by the way, at BuzzOnTap on Twitter. That is at BuzzOnTap. Follow Socks on Tap, specifically of the OnTap Sports Network. For Brad Squires and James Fox, my name is Mike Rankin. This has been a presentation of the Future Socks Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We will talk to you all next time.